0: hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the from ballparks to buzzer Beer sports cast i'm your host perry mortinos and today we have a great episode on tap for you guys so let's get to it so my plan was entering today we'll discuss three of the boston sports teams we'll start off with the celtics that will be what the majority of the time is dedicated to um as their series in the eastern conference finals is tied 21 one one with the Miami Heat, so we'll lay out um, the rest of the series, the chances of them winning it all, um, how they looked against the Bucks, because the last time we did an episode was after the Nets series heading into the Buck series. I'm um, sorry, guys, I haven't been on it. Um, little f- things have been a little hectic lately. But then after that, we'll head on to the Bruins and discuss their future after dropping Game 7 of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, We'll talk a little bit about Patrice Bergeron, retire or stay, um, and their chances for competing for a Stanley Cup title next spring. And then we also will mention the Patriots and how um, I thought their draft class did. Um, Cole Strange mostly, also some Taequann Thornton and Marcus Jones sprinkled in there. But let's start off with what has really been the best Boston sports team um, since the new year. Um, in the Boston Celtics, so they beat the Bucks in seven games. They're facing the Heat right now. Um, they stole home co- home court advantage with a great game to win, um, on Thursday night. But I want to start off with that series against the Bucks because they played. I think they played a very different style of basketball than they faced in the. Um, Brooklyn Nets series the Brooklyn Nets are more of a I feel finesse team kind of iso ball give the ball to Kyrie or Katie and kind of let them create let them see what they can do whereas the Bucks are a more physical team they pride themselves on defending the paint um, the way to beat the Bro- the Milwaukee Bucks is to make a lot of three-pointers which the Celtics ultimately did but they also got a lot of mid-range shots as well um, which you have to give credit to Guys like Jalen Brown, um, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart even hit a couple of mid-rangers, but I'm just looking at this series as a whole, and I honestly think the series should have been over in five, because you had game one where the Celtics got dismantled, and they deserved to get dismantled, um, they didn't come in well, they weren't, you could tell they just weren't prepared. I I want to say that is a negative reflection on Indoka because I think he's a great coach, but... It was just a different style of basketball, and I think it just took a game to warm up. Then they won handedly in Game 2. Then Game 3, they lost. This was the game where um, Marcus Martin intentionally missed a free throw, and they had a numerous amount of chances at the rim. They finished that. Um, But ultimately, if you just go back and look at that whole fourth quarter, they should have won that game. Um, Game 4, they won. And then Game 5 was the 14-point collapse with 9 minutes left. In the fourth quarter. Um, that was an awful game. Um, they should have closed that out. It should have been closed down five, even six, but they ended up getting the win, which is what matters. So you look at guys like Jason Tam, 46 points in game six. Um, he's playing great defensively on that side of the ball. He needs to play a little better. Um, he needs to stop complaining to the officials, I guess. He's getting caught up too much in trying to draw these fouls, trying to do Everything himself, but when he when he plays how he's played really since January, where he's driving, he's kicking, but he's also getting the points that he needs. You can just tell he is on a different level than he was even at the beginning of this season. Jalen Brown's been a great compliment to him, excuse me. Um especially in the first quarter, where it kind of seems like the first quarter is Brown's take Brown's quarter and the second quarter is to quarter. Um, But Brown, always it feels like he always has 12, 13 points in the first quarter. He's been a great complement. His ball handling doesn't even get better as this playoff run hopefully continues all the way through a championship. But he's shooting the ball really well. He's a great scorer. And when he wants to, he can be a great passer. He's really developed that part of his game as well. And then Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Rob Williams. These guys are all kind of in one category, Right. They're all very important pieces who contribute heavily to the success of the team. Marcus Smart, um, more facilitating, and he's really the defensive captain out there. Al Horford, both on the defensive end, on the leadership end, and then Rob Williams, um, really manning the paint, not letting many players get inside, and if they do get inside, not getting many good shots off. Um, and then... Honestly, then you got your three role players, right? Grant Williams, Pritchard, Derek White. That's kind of been your eight-man rotation, um, give or take a couple minutes of Daniel Tice here. But Grant Williams, huge in the Milwaukee series, especially that game seven. Um, He just needs to continue doing what he's doing. He was great in the game two win on Thursday night against the Heat as well. Derek White missed game two, but has been... If he could just knock down, I feel, a couple more threes a game, maybe develop more of a scoring threat. Um, but he's passing the ball really well. He's defending really well. And then Payne Pritchard, who is always a spark plug off the bench. So, I mean, there's very little to quibble with right now um, on how the Celtics are playing and then how he is coaching. But I want to get into this Heat series a little more, more of the X's and O's. So you saw game one. Um, they played that game without Al Horford, without Marcus Smart, um, and that's bad injury luck, but they also beat the Bucks without Chris Milton, and Kyle Lowry has not been available for both games one and two. I don't know when he's going to be available. It could be, um, he could miss from what I'm hearing up to game five, so it could be a while before he returns from his hamstring injury, but although that was bad injury luck, the Celtics have gotten Pretty good injury luck over the postseason thus far. But I'm looking at right now, I think the most important player on the defensive side of the ball right now is Rob Williams because he was in game one, but he didn't really have that same energy, that same bounce that I feel he had in game two. Jimmy Butler, his primary way of scoring is going to be in the paint, um, getting you the free throw line. If he's taking three-point shots, I think that's a win for the Celtics defense. Um, and Rob Williams is a great, big, big part of that because if he can stop Jimmy Butler from scoring at the rim, you just took out their best player. And Bam Bio has been, um, I've watched both games, basically invisible. I haven't even noticed he's been on the court at any point. And I don't know if that's just me, if he's actually playing well, but that's just what it seems to be from me. But, I mean, this team is going to go how Butler goes, and Butler's 41 points in Game 1, and then his, I believe he only had 29 points in Game 2. I need to check that, including that 16 points in the third quarter. But if they can um, stop him from getting you the paint in the first place with guys like Tatum and Brown, smart, and then if he does get into the paint, when he does get into the paint, Rob Williams, even if he doesn't block the shot, he just needs to be a presence in there to give Butler something to think about. If Butler's going to the rim and he's like, oh no, Rob Williams is here, maybe he has to do a more difficult finish. Just anything like that comes directly from Rob Williams. And then the guy I'm partly concerned about in this series, although Game Vincent has had two great games, um, I'm concerned about Tyler Hero still. Um, But I think with the addition of Marcus Smart back, With the addition of Derek White midseason, I feel like they're more equipped to defend him than they were in 2020 when it felt like every single game they were getting killed by Tyler Hero. I believe he had 37 points in Game 6 of that series, um, if my memory serves. But all in all, the Celtics should win this series. There's no reason why they shouldn't. They have, I would say, the best player in the series, probably... Two of the best three. I would put Butler slightly ahead of Jalen Brown right now, especially the way Butler's been playing in the postseason. But, I mean, they've got, I would say, just great all-around players who know what they do, and they all have the same personality. They're all defensive first. And this team, although they can fall in love with the three-point shot, which I think will end up making them have... will kill them in at least one game this series, probably... um, I don't really want to predict what game, but it's definitely going to kill them in one series. I think they're gonna to fall too in love with the three point shot. But with the role players that they have, with the role players that they have, excuse me, Grant Williams, who's been honestly a revelation since the new year, especially in the postseason. He's cutting the ball much better. He played pretty good defense on Giannis in the first two games of that series. His defense got a little bit worse as the series progressed, but I mean it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he's not gonna be you know shut down prime Kevin Garnett or prime Michael Jordan but he's been pretty good he's made some timely three-point shots he's been a great option in the corner he's kind of found that shooting stroke that he hadn't had for a couple weeks before the playoffs but i think with the way this team is constructed right now um i think they'll it'll be a hard-fought series with the heat They should win it for sure. This should be a six or seven game win for the Celtics. The question is, can they avoid the third quarter run? Can they avoid collapsing at the end of games? And I think that will ultimately determine this series. But, I mean, you look at the teams still left, right? If we go, let's say they beat the Heat. You've got the Warriors who are up 1-0 currently on the Mavericks. And then you've got both teams who will have home court advantage over the Boston Celtics. Um, I'm looking at the Dallas Mavericks, and I'm not super afraid of this team. I don't think they're even going to beat the Warriors, but they've got Luka, but the way that this team is defending, I think they can take him. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm not super scared against the Mavericks. I think that is another series they should win. But going up against the Warriors, I think, is a completely different situation. Um, I would probably put that right now as a pick 'em series um you've got curry on one side jordan Poole, clay thompson and uh, going against the likes of tatum brown um smart i think it would be a phenomenal series it's going to be truly offense versus defense how many shots can the warriors make and how well can the boston celtics defend kevin looney steph curry clay thompson draymond green um but right now they've got to win the seed series and They're positioned to do it. They've stolen home court. I think Game 3 is a big game. If they go up 2-1, and then Game 4, if they go up 3-1, I mean, I think you can start booking plans for the NBA Finals. But right now, I really love how the Celtics team is playing. They're a really dangerous team. They're going to be a tough out um, if they do make it to the NBA Finals. But right now, I think you can't be satisfied with what you have. Right now, I would consider a championship run, um, if they do win it all, an absolute success. If they make it the NBA Finals, I'd say it was a successful season, especially considering that they started 18-21, and 21. but there's no guarantee that you're going to be back there next year, especially with what should be a better Nets team with Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons, um, Giannis, Holiday, Milton. You've also got MPed and Harden. Uh, the Bulls might retool. All of these teams might be a little bit better, but... Right now, you've got to be focused. If I'm the Boston Celtics, you can't get too far ahead of yourselves here because the Heat are a team with a phenomenal coach in Eric Spolstra that can kind of punk you and ruin those finals plans and send you to Cancun early. But heading over to the Boston Bruins, um, this is a team that you look at and you say, okay, they've been with this core for however long it's been, since probably 2008, so... 14 15 years now and you say well they have won stanley cup 2011 um they've been to three 2013 and 2019 2019 is the one that really hurts but they lost in seven games to the carolina hurricanes and i think that if they had beaten the carolina hurricanes i think they could have beaten the new york rangers um and then i think you would have had them in the eastern Conference finals for the NHL, and I think that would have been a pretty impressive run from this Boston Bruins team. But I want you to start off with Patrice Bergeron, 37 years old, I believe, 36 or 37. He's the clear top center on this team. There's been speculation about his future. From what I'm hearing, it seems that he's Nobody really knows if he's going to retire or come back for another year. I think if he comes back, it's going to be one year, two year max. Um, And I think he's going to come back in Boston. I don't think he's going to go um, to a different team like Tom Brady, like Zidane Ochar did. I think Boston wants him and Boston will be back. And honestly, Boston needs him. Let's be real. Um, If you get rid of Patrice Bergeron, you're looking at down the mill, you've got Eric Halla, Charlie Coyle, Thomas Nosek. That's not great. And that's ultimately what did in the Boston Bruins in this playoff But I'll get that into that in a little bit later. But you I mean, look at a guy like Patrice Bergeron, only one Stanley Cup title. You he probably should have had two. Um, that twenty nineteen Blues Stanley Cup final, they definitely should have won. But he's playing with a great linemate in Brad Marchand. He elevated the game with Jake DeBros. He's still one of the top. Twenty five players, maybe twenty in the NHL. I I don't have a list off the top of my head, but if he moves on, if he does retire, the Bruins are in a whole world of trouble because then you're looking at a guy who you can't replace his re- production. You're just not going to move Eric Hall up to the f- center, um, and it might be there might be a case where you have to do a fire sale and you have to start. Trading guys like Charlie Cora, guys like Eric Holla, guys like Jake Dabrowski probably will be traded this offseason anyway. Maybe even a 2018 Hart Trophy winner in Taylor he has got three years left on his deal. But if Bergeron retires, it's it's hard to imagine a path where the Bruins make the playoffs next year. Um, especially where, the, where they will be at, at the middle. I think their best chance is probably to punt on that year next year if Bergeron does retire and you're going to be looking at core your next great Bruins team is going to have a core of David Pasternak, Jeremy Swayman Annette, Charlie McEvoy in the blue line and Hampus home on the blue line as well and then there's also going to be some pieces that can also say Grislyc, um, Carlos still signed for a little bit Um, Taylor Hall could be traded or could stay here, Coyle um, any of these guys that don't get traded but Even if they just retool for next year if Bergeron does retire, it's going to be very hard for them. And you could say, well, we'll wait until we'll plan on next year and then we'll go after, um, we'll expend all of our resources next year and next free agency after Nathan McKinnon, the star Colorado Avalanche center who's hitting free agency, um, who's scheduled to hit free agency in 2023. He's not going to hit free agency. And I hate to burst the bubble of all these Bruins fans, but... The Avalanche will re-sign him. I think the best chance if the if the Bruins want is that they need to lose the Avalanche need to lose this series, and they probably need to have a first or second round exit next season as well. Um, but Nathan McKinnon is just a pipe dream. He's he's a top five player in the league. You can argue make a case for top one. I'd listen on that, but he's a guy that if the Avalanche let go, they will never be forgiven for it. He's not going to be let go. That's a pipe dream. I've spent already too much time on Nathan McKinnon coming to the Bruins. But if he does come back, let's say Bergeron hypothetically does come back, it's going to be on Don Sweeney, who it looks like they're going to try to extend um, based on Cam Neely's comments. Um... I mean, are you, honestly, I think there's a case that for firing Don Sweeney. I don't think that you should fire Bruce Cassidy. I think he's a good coach. But the secondary scoring just wasn't there all playoffs. Taylor Hall was invisible. Eric Hall was invisible. Charlie Coyle, invisible. Um, Craig Smith, invisible. Trent Frederick, invisible. All these guys did pretty much nothing to help that line of, to help the, really the quartet of DeBrusque, who I thought had a pretty good series, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. So, Don Sweeney's first goal is going to be to find some secondary scoring. Maybe um, look at a guy from um, Providence. I don't think their star prospect Fabian Lysol is going to be called up, but maybe a guy like Jackson Nika Jackson Nika excuse me, um, could come up. They're going to need more power on that fourth line. It's still going to be a long road to contention. I think that Bergeron will end up coming back for another season in the spoked B. But I mean, even if he does come back, where are they gonna go after Bergeron? I mean, there's just nobody in the pipeline. Their best center is probably Sunica, um, Seneca. They've developed blue liners well, right? They're gonna the blue line will be fine. The goaltending will be fine and on the wing it should be fine. But you really have to go back to that draft that named them Jake Debrusque. Zach Senshin, and the last name is escaping me um, right now in three straight picks. They all turned out to be bust, except I, I would give Jake DeBrusca a hit. But you look at the guys that were drafted after them Matt Barzell, but the killer for me is Sebastian Ajo. I mean, you just play against this guy. This guy is a bona fide number one center, pencil moon every night, um, probably a point per game player. That's that's the guy that you had to have. And I think if you did end up drafting Sebastian Aho, I think you'd have two, maybe even three cup titles right now with the run of this current core. But obviously a very um mysterious um off season for Bruins fans um and for the Bruins organization. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. Um, and we'll try and keep you updated on what Don Sweeney says, what um Cam Neely says what Bruce Cassidy says. If Bruce Cassidy is fired, um, all of these things we will be keeping an eye on here for you guys. But heading on to my last topic of the day, the New England Patriots. Um, the draft was held about four weeks ago. Um, They traded down like James, both James and I said they would. Um and they trade down with the Chiefs to twenty nine and they selected Cole Strange. So let's start there. Let's we'll exclude the rest of the draft for now. I thought they made some good picks later in the round late in the later rounds. But we James and I both said it's they're probably gonna trade down. But we said if they don't trade down, the guys that could be there are Trent McDuffie, who the Chiefs ended up taking with that pick. Um George Karafilidis, which no, George Kalaftis, um, excuse me a guy that ended up going to the Chiefs at pick 30. Um, You also got Kair Lam, who was on our list. We talked about him briefly, the cornerback from Florida. He went to the Buffalo Bills. And the one that I think everybody wanted was Devin Lloyd out of Utah, who ended up going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, where his career could be ruined just by going to that franchise. But I wonder if Devin Lloyd had fallen to pick 29, if they would have taken him over Cole Strange. And you can blame... There's two ways to look at the value of this. You can say, okay, well, a lot of teams had a third or fourth round grade on him. You've got to read the board better. You've got to look at what other teams are doing, and you probably could have gotten him in the second round. I would say that's probably true. Or the alternate thing is you can look at and say, look, if they think this guy's going to be a great player and he turns out to be an all-pro, pro-bowler type guy, it doesn't really matter where you draft him. Nobody's going to remember that. Um, nobody's going to remember on the guys that you passed. And if picks, you know, 20 through 60 are really the same, it's just based on need and who you like, then that's the other argument, which I also um, partly agree with. But even if Cole Strange, um, the guard from Chattanooga, turns out to be a Hall of Famer, you don't need a Hall of Fame guard to win a Super Bowl. This guy isn't going to come in and win a Super Bowl, he's not going to come in and he's not going to make this team better by three wins. And there's not a lot of rookies that can do that. But even in five years, he's not going to make the team better by three wins. He might shut down the interior defensive line day game in, game out. And he might even if he's a Hall of Famer, but they're not going to win a Super Bowl because of this pick. He'd be a supporting piece in that Super Bowl. And you can look at it and say A guy like Andrew Andrew Bruth Jr., who went, I believe, early second round in the Minnesota Vikings. Um, And obviously, if they didn't like him, that's fine. But a cornerback or a linebacker is going to help you win a Super Bowl more than an offensive guard is. That's not opinion. That's just a fact. I mean, and if they made this trade, if they made this pick because they traded Shaq Mason to the Bucks for a six-rounder, and it was basically Shaq Mason... For Cole Strange, that is ridiculous. I That's a theory that's been thrown out there. I don't agree with it. I don't think Bill made this trade. And then with the idea of picking Cole Strange here at pick 21 um, and then eventually 29. I, I don't think that was the goal here. But I, I just don't understand the pick. And once Devin Lloyd was gone, if they traded down again, I would have been fine with it. But, N'Kobe Dean, another guy, ended up going into the third round because of a pec injury. Um, that was something I actually didn't know entering the draft. But, really, Cole Strange was a head-scratcher. And then you get into their second-round pick, Taequann Thorn. I mean, the good. This guy can fly. He's a good root runner. He's pretty physical. The bad. Another pick that was supposed to go in the fourth round. The guys that were taken after him. Sky Moore. Um, they actually traded up to get Thornton, by the way. Sky Moore from Western Michigan ended up going to the Chiefs. Um, there was one other guy that I want to mention here. Um, who I cannot remember. He's just not coming to me right now. I mean, it might have been George Pickens. He might have been picked after, um, after, um, Taquan Thornton. But still, I mean, th- the value that they just got on this draft doesn't seem to be the value that the Patriots normally get on their draft classes. I like the Marcus Jones cornerback pick from Houston later. I like the Jack Jones pick from Arizona State. Um, Pierre Strong, the running back from North Dakota State. I mean, it's a running back in the fifth round. I mean, what are you going to do? But they still need help at corner. Um, they might say linebackers is not a lead because they've got Cam McGrone, who tore his ACL last year. Um, coming back, he was a six-round pick due to that torn ACL, basically red-shirted last year. People are really excited about him, um, so we'll see if he can play in training camp and in OTAs here, but, I mean, the overall feeling I'm getting from this draft class and my Kuiper rated at the worst, and NFL.com had it as one of the worst, and all these analysts had it as number one in the worst, this draft class can turn out to be good for the Patriots, but the value that they got just boggles me on why they picked these guys so early. Everybody saw the video of McVay and Les Snead, um from the Rams laughing after the Patriots took Cole Strange. Because they thought he'd still be there. But at the end of the day, this class could turn out to be really good. Cole Strange could turn out to be a really good player. And Cole Strange and Taequann Thornton are really what's going to make up this draft class. But if some of these guys after them, I really liked Sky more. I thought that the Patriots were going to pick him if... Devin Lloyd, a guy that they passed on. Kyrie Lam ends up shutting down receivers in Buffalo for the next decade or so when you have to face him every day. play turn out to be really good players. I mean, it's it's gonna be a tough draft to justify for the New England Patriots. But we've still got a lot of time before the season starts. Um, we'll definitely come up with more Patriots coverage as the offseason progresses here but that is it for me today guys as always thank you for listening um I'm, I, i'll just want to apologize for again again for not um doing an episode the past couple weeks it's been a little hectic over here um with school and sports and whatever but thank you for listening as always you can go to our website from ballparks to com. our gmail is there our instagram is there um segment ideas Feedback, both positive and negative. Maybe if you want to be a guest on the show, I'm sure we could figure something out. But that is it for me today, guys. As always, I'm Paramortino signing out with the From Ballparks Sp- Buzzer beer Sports Cast. Have a good one, everybody.